we turn this morning to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Our text for this morning is Matthew 5, 7. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast down and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, this morning we thank you for this opportunity. It would be our prayer that you would right now, by thy blessed Spirit, reveal to each one their true need, and then lead us by the Spirit to the Scriptures to seek prayerfully the specific fulfillment of that very personalized need. By thy blessed and Holy Spirit, overrule the remaining ignorance of our minds, Overrule the weaknesses of our bodies and the sicknesses of our soul, that we might see Thee, our great God and Savior, and in the refreshment of such a worshiper's sight, be encouraged for the day, the week, the month, and as of today, the new year before us. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Jeremiah knew full well that God's horrific judgments fallen on sinful Judah back in that day 
were well-deserved and righteous judgments. Jeremiah knew full well that God had power and good reason to wipe sinful Judah right off the map. But Jeremiah also knew that God's compassions and tender love for his people fail not. Thus, God's loving kindness stayed the hand of complete destruction and served as the basis for the dear prophet's hope according to promise. Beloved, that is mercy. Mercy of God towards Judah of old. And surely we can speak of mercy from God towards us. It is of the Lord's mercies that we, me and you, are not consumed. I wonder sometimes if we really believe that. Nonetheless, I like this reminder of Jeremiah's lamentation as the introduction to the truth of Christ at 5-7. I like it for both its historical and its doctrinal connections. The ancient promise of God to the descendants of Abraham, historical, could not have expected anything great coming from God if it depended upon their performance. The ancient promise of God to the descendants of Abraham could well be called God's merciful solution for the sin-cursed. Doctrinally speaking, the Lord's statement on the Sermon on the Mount that Messiah Manifesto allows us to see the relationship of mercy to truth. We like to think about mercy. I would argue the world likes to think about mercy. But the world does not like to think about mercy with its companion truth or its other companion righteousness or its other companion power. You cannot think rightly. You cannot think biblically about mercy apart from truth apart from righteousness, and apart from power. The beloved radio Bible teacher Warren Worsby said, you cannot show mercy unless you possess power to hurt. Now, that came from me. People would say, there goes Teal again. He is an insensitive nose guard uh, from years ago, and he just sticks it in your face. But that didn't come from me. That came from Warren Worsby. Kindly, tender-hearted, soft-spoken, never loud, never shouting, Warren Worsby said, you cannot show mercy unless you have power to Hurt. God is omnipotent. God has absolute power and right to hurt us as sinful creatures who have offended his perfect righteousness. God has every right and reason 
to hurt us. And he has power to do it. The truth is, God would be right to hurt you and me, consuming us completely. And if that was the sermon, well, then we could all go home feeling bad, sucking our shoelaces, and thinking, what a terrible uh, world and life we live in. But, and thank God there is a but, we delight to declare the additional truth that omnipotent God is likewise omnibenevolent. God is love as well as light. God is good, and his goodness has brought forth mercy, the relief from judgment deserved. And the love of God, the omnibenevolence of God, has brought forth grace, the reception of things undeserved. There's the classical definition, pick up on it, mercy, the relief from judgment deserved, and grace, the reception of things undeserved. One more time, mercy, the relief from judgment deserved, grace, the reception of things undeserved. You and I, are recipients of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. You cannot, however, tell the truth of God's mercy apart from the truth of God's judgment on sin. This is why Psalm 101, one says, I will sing of the mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Uh, Psalm 101.1 brings together uh, the bigger picture we more often hear in our minds. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth will I make known uh, thy faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 89 is the more popular rendering, but Psalm 89 waits till the end of the psalm to bring truth and mercy together as it always is together. But Psalm 101.1 says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Or in other words, God, I recognize that mercy cannot come apart from truth. And the truth that I do not deserve thy good hand of relief upon my soul, upon my life. Mercy cannot be extended apart from truth. There is no such thing as a random act of mercy, biblically speaking. This is why one of our favorite messianic prophecies says mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. This thing brings us to the weekly outline as we work our way through the Beatitudes, disposition, demand, and disclosure. This brings us then to the 
first thought of disposition, namely the disposition of King Jesus. Mercy is the disposition of King Jesus. King Jesus taught mercy, practiced mercy, commanded his followers to show mercy. Jesus is the mercy of God manifest in human flesh. Since the merciful are blessed, then Jesus is the man most blessed because his earthly life was a manifestation of divine mercy. First Advent can be described as a mission of mercy. The Lord in the first Advent was on a mission of mercy. Now, there are three or four Old Testament men in the record of the scriptures that foreshadow the mercy that we see in King Jesus. I thought this past week about Abraham and his rescue of his nephew Lot. Abraham gave Lot the choice, and Lot chose the path that would yield to him in the flesh the best of blessings and uh, left uh, the overs, or the leftovers, uh, for Abraham. And Abraham was okay with that, of course. But then when Lot got in trouble because he pitched his tent toward Sodom, which was a very stupid thing for any kind of a, of a believer to do, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Lot got in trouble, and when there was war in the land, and Lot and, uh, and his possessions were all taken captive, uh, Abraham exercised himself to rescue Lot. Now, Abraham could have said of Lot, hey, he made bad choices. He, he went the wrong way. And uh, I can't make up for all of his bad choices. I can't make up for everything in the aspect of his life. And so uh, uh, it'd be well-deserved if some of that hot, tarry brimstone falling out of heaven landed on the top of Lot's head. As I said to Bill this morning before we prayed, you know, Lot is one of those guys in the Bible. If the Bible didn't tell me that he was righteously vexed of soul when he lived there, I'd have never believed it. I would have thought that Lot was just a junkyard dog from the, bar from the start to the end. But nonetheless, Abraham exercises mercy towards Lot. And you can see that in the biblical record. I think of Joseph, who couldn't tell that story of mercy, where Joseph exercises kindness towards his very unkind brothers. If ever there was a man that would have uh, delighted to say in his flesh, Hey, you guys, do you know who I am? It would have been Joseph. And yet Joseph lovingly uh, confronted them in truth and yet extended to his unkind brothers the most fantastic foreshadowing kindness that we have received in the Lord and Jesus. And I think about David and uh, his treatment of King Saul. Twice David had opportunity to eliminate that grump. Twice he had opportunity, as good an opportunity as you'll ever get, uh, to, uh, uh, to take out uh, that uh, madman's life. And yet David, because of his heart for God, David, because of his love for the Scripture, David, because of his willingness to be obedient to God, uh, not only in, in receiving mercy but extending mercy, chose to spare the madman's life and to wait on the Lord for the coming day of promise. 
I tell you that Abraham and Joseph and David uh, in the Old Testament era were men that greatly foreshadowed uh, the mercy uh, that you and I know about in Jesus Christ. But, of course, there's no comparison uh, to the mercy that is repeatedly demonstrated by the God-man in the record of the New Testament Gospels. Uh, I want to show you, just look ahead a little bit, I want to show you an interesting uh, exchange of which you're, you're already familiar, but look ahead to Matthew 26, 51 to 54, uh, in that moment where Peter uh, swings and misses the neck of Melchus, uh, clipping off his ear. And uh, I like this account because it obviously renders the idea of mercy, but it also confirms that mercy was the mission of the first advent. But I especially like it because it confirms the, the fact that mercy never flies apart from truth. So just look at it with me briefly. Matthew twenty six fifty one, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now we know that that one was Peter from another text. And we know the servant's name is Melchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 72,000 angels, 12 legions. 72,000 How many angels would it take to resist and stand against the arresting army this night in Gethsemane. How many angels would it take? I would argue one. Just one angel showing up would have taken care of the thing. Jesus said, all I have to do is ask God, the Father, and 72,000 angels will be here to protect me so that I would, I would never be arrested, I would never be touched, I would never be abused, I would never be hurt, I would never, I would never, I would never, I would never, I would never. Listen, isn't Jesus in a power position? Isn't Jesus in the absolute position of power in this moment? And then look what he says next. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? What must be? God's mercy must be. That's what that's saying. Wow. Wow. What mercy has come together in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross? Jesus said that the illegal and unjustifiable uh, arrest uh, was something that uh, he had all the power you could possibly uh, uh, desire to have uh, to negate and to pulverize those sinful actors and yet chose in the will of God, the Father, to fulfill the divine intention as prophesied. And what was indeed prophesied? Answer, mercy. Mercy from God. The divine mercy of promise and prophecy could not have been shown, however, apart from the cross. And that's why mercy must be shared, must be given from above, in relationship to the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is our sins have condemned us before thrice holy God. 
God's mercy and truth are met at the cross. God's mercy and righteousness are met in the cross. Righteousness and peace kiss in the person of Jesus on the cross. And so let me just give you a little summary statement that I trust the Spirit of God will write on your heart. Here it is. Mercy is not a weak man conceding, but a strong man loving. Mercy is not a weakling conceding, but a strong man loving. And there's never been a stronger man that walked the earth than Jesus Christ. And some teenager says, oh, pastor, you mean that if we got a barbell and we filled it with 600 pounds and, or, the, or the current uh, world record for the lift or the press, uh, you mean tell me that Jesus could pick it up? Well, I, I uh, am not saying that uh, at all. I don't think that the Lord Jesus came into the world as uh, 10 times Arnold Schwarzenegger. But what I do know is there's never been any man in the world like Jesus who is sinless. And when a man is sinless, he could not be more powerful. For he reflects perfectly the very characteristic of God and has the full power of God at his disposal. No one was ever more powerful or strong on earth than the Lord Jesus. And he did not use that power to destroy us. He used that power to love us at the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Of course, he could say that because he was the merciful God, man. But in 5.7 it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's talk about the demand of mercy among the citizens in the kingdom. It is crucial now to note at this particular point in our study that the four preceding Beatitudes... Number one, bankruptcy of spirit, verse three. Number two, mourning over one's sin, verse four. Number three, deferment of all expectation except as from God, verse five. And having appetite for righteousness, verse six, are all inward characteristics of a person's heart and mind. But now, at 5-7, the demand for mercy is an outward action, an outward expression, an outward manifestation that is directly connected to the four inward attitudes preceding it. And it underscores a biblical principle that whatever you and I have received of the Lord is not to be hidden under our bushel, 
but let out to the benefit of others. That sermon's coming. It's not for today. But nonetheless, what's in, what has been brought in by the mercy and grace of God is to be let out of us. This concept of mercy required for the people of God was nothing new when Jesus said it. For 700 years before the birth of Christ, God's prophet Micah delivered the expectation of God for his people, saying, God hath showed unto thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The three prongs of Micah's emphasis concerning what it is that God wants from his people are, number one, to do or to be righteous. To do righteously. To act righteously. Number two, to love mercy. Flowing to us and through us. And thirdly, to walk humbly. With God. God's Old Testament demand was to do righteously, extend mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Mercy was required. Mercy is required. Jesus made it clear that the blessedness of the kingdom would be made real in the lives of those exhibiting and extending mercy. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus said, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. We all understand the concept of chip off the old block. And some of you this morning are glad that the holidays are over, so that you are not confronting your chips off your block quite so closely in the first days of 2023. But nonetheless... The reality is we are to be chips off the heavenly block. We are to be merciful. For indeed our Father is merciful. Mercy is the disposition of King Jesus. Mercy is the demand of King Jesus. And here's the disclosure. Again, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, as we previously said, Jesus taught mercy. Jesus practiced mercy. Jesus commanded his followers to show mercy. And upon first reading of this beatitude, it uh, would almost seem as if uh, that uh, in order to receive any mercy from God, you must first show it to others. That, of course, is impossible. For mercy of the truth and power variety is not natural to any person and must be received as a gift from God. Scripture says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Titus 3.5 King Jesus is here in saying that his kingdom citizens are to show mercy because they have received it. Because they are confident of it as from God and not a one-time deal, but as a perpetuation 
of experience throughout the aspect of a lifetime. We understand that the biblical tenses relative to both the mercy and the grace of God indicate that there is a river flowing out of heaven to and through the believer. A river of mercy flowing. The mercy spigot is on and it flows to us and it's to throw th- and flow through us uh, to the benefit of others. Now you and I do see a form of mercy in the world in which we live as well as we do see in the world in which we live no mercy. We see the absolute void of mercy and we see most often the counterfeit of mercy operating oftentimes at the same time in our day even as it did in first century under Rome. Self-serving power is commonly exercised without mercy towards others. Counterfeit mercy is exercised apart from truth and righteousness. So there's two things that I see in the world. I think there's two things you'll quickly see in the world. I'll give you one example in a minute. But you and I can quickly see in our world, outside the walls of God's flock, you can see mercy in its void. There is none. And you can also see mercy being exercised apart from truth and righteousness. The same society in which you and I live that aborts babies in the name of personal women's health void of mercy for those precious babies. The same world says it respects marriage, although apart from the truth of its origin as from God. Abortion, mercy void. Respect for marriage act. Counterfeit mercy. When we say we're extending kindness to people that is void of truth, that's not kindness. That's not grace. Mercy must fly with, in tandem, truth. And there's only one place in this sinful world where mercy and truth have kissed. And that's in the person of the Lord Jesus. God's holy brand of mercy is exclusively shown in connection to the sacrifice of God the Son. The cross of Christ is rightly understood as in the terms of great mercy and great judgment. The thing that makes the unique perspective that you and I have concerning the mercy of which King Jesus talked so phenomenal is that this is the mercy that works in absolute tandem, in absolute partnership, in absolute compatibility with righteousness and truth. The cross is the greatest instrument of mercy 
and it is indeed the world's greatest instrument ever created for judgment. The cross was no random act of mercy. It was no random act of kindness. Random acts of kindness are counterfeit mercies. The cross was mercy and truth kissed together in the person of Jesus. The saving mercy received as to be the possession of an individual is thereby to be extended through that individual to others. You see this in the very thing and the writing of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus when he said, Be kind one to another. That's nothing more than the sign by Whitneyville Road. Be kind. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, the verse has more to say. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Our mercy and forgiveness is clearly founded upon the price of sin paid at the cross. And when you extend mercy without connection to that truth, it's counterfeit mercy. This divides that Unique description of terms between the Bible and the world. The world performs good works. None of which God accepts. The Bible says that you and I as believers are saved unto good works. Good works and good works. What's the difference? Good works. And good works. Hear the difference? <laughs> no. <laughs> the world says good works. And it talks about just being kind to people. Just be kind. Just be kind. Just be kind. Because you want to get what you give, and so just be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. I'm not advocating against that. I'm just simply saying that's not a very, very good message. What is the message of the scripture? Good works created in good works created in Christ Jesus. Where were our good works created? Answer, in Christ Jesus at the cross. Mercy cannot fly apart from truth if it's going to represent what God does for us. So if you think about it in the terms of a plane, a plane with one wing, it's going to crash. And all the good works of the world crash and burn. But the good works of the believer are the good works that are created in the Savior, and we fly, as it were, a, a double-wing plane, and we have... Uh, the mercy of God and the truth of God in perfect balance brought together in the body of our plane, which is his body, the church, which is his body on the cross, sacrificed for our sins. That's a plane 
we can all fly. Mercy and truth have met together. Thus we rightly sing, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there, the cross, Calvary, was multiplied to me. There, my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The Bible man Donald Barnhouse summarizes with these words. We cannot have the blessing apart from the blesser. We cannot even meet the condition apart from the one who has set the condition. We are blessed by God when we are merciful to others. And we are able to be merciful to others because we have already received salvation's mercy. And when we share the mercy received, we shall receive mercy even beyond that which we already possess. Again, mercy is not the action of a weakling who is conceding, but a strong person, loving as we have been loved in Christ Jesus. There can be no actual solace of soul no pardon for sin without pain. Thus Paul desired to enter into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ and to know firsthand the extension of the saving love of God towards others through a vessel of mercy such as he. I like that old southern song, Make me, Lord, make me a vessel of mercy. It is just simply merciful to pray for others. It is just simply merciful to preach and to share the gospel with others. It is just simply merciful to pay the personal cost of bringing real help to the truly helpless. It is to the bankrupted mourner over their sin who is meek before the Almighty, who is longing for righteousness that avails of God's mercy and grace. We who have received of the Lord's mercy and grace are to proclaim that mercy and grace to others. And let them to know that there is a Savior in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together this morning.